Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Craven Cottage, make some noise for the team of the Fulhamish Podcast! It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. And on today's episode, we're going to be previewing the return of Fulham this Saturday against Newcastle United at the Cottage. We'll also be rounding up the international break for Fulham's players. And of course, we will mostly be discussing Alexander Mitrovic. 50 goals now for Serbia. Four goals in two games in the Nations League this international break and the hype around him is getting enormous. Can we say we told you so? Yes, we can. I'm joined by the regular Thursday club today of Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, mate. How you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. And Peter Rutzler. Hello. Hello. Hello, Sammy. How are you? How are you, Jack? Yeah, good. Good. Can't complain. All was well. Yeah. How was your holiday, Peter? Yeah, it's pleasant. Nice to get away. You know, turn off the phone and uh, yeah, disappear. That's good. I don't know if you listened to last week's Thursday Club. You were obviously on holiday, so I wouldn't have expected you to. But we did discuss briefly where has Peter gone on holiday because none of us knew. And we did a little bit of a, uh, I wouldn't really call it a sweepstake, but we all just gave our ideas. Um, so oh, can you do the big reveal? Where did Peter Rutzler go on holiday? Uh, I went to Greece. Uh, oh, Whereabouts? Which, which island? Or was it an Skopolos. island? It was an island uh, in the North Aegean. Is that a beachy holiday? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite quiet. Um, yeah, beaches, small island. Yeah, very chill. Very chill. I'm going to say that Jack won that. So I said that you went camping in the New Forest. Um, Drew said that you <laughs> went to Spain. Uh, but Jack said that you went to Italy. So I think, I think, I think Italy wins just yeah, on yeah. geographical proximity. Um, none of us said Greece. I'll give that to Jack. Yeah, well, to be fair, camping in the New Forest isn't a bad guess because I haven't, just haven't been abroad for a while and uh, it's the kind of thing I'd do. So, um, yeah, uh, you know the right lines, just not this time. <laughs> no, I think I think you made the right choice as well. It's not been that nice of weather in the last couple of weeks, I think. Uh, well, I'm glad you've uh, had a good holiday. Let's look then at all the stories from the last couple of weeks, the last week in particular. Uh, and let's start with the big man, Alexander Mitrovic, 50 goals for Serbia, four goals in two international games, a hat-trick against Sweden, and then one last night uh, against Norway. Um, Jack, it feels like the Mitrovic hype is as big as I've ever seen it. So many people from so many clubs are banging on uh, about the talents that we all knew he has had for donkeys, but finally the world is opening their eyes. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's a great thing for, you know, for, for Alexander generally, but also, you know, we look at this and we've, we've talked a lot on this pod about the fact that, that Marco Silva has built a team around him, yes, um, but also, you know, helped him to develop as a player and understand, you know, the things he's 
best at and the things that he you know that he can he can do to kind of limit his weaknesses and I think that's what we're seeing at the moment we're seeing a player who ultimately is you know full of confidence in his own ability but also who is showing that he's taken that kind of you know uplifting club form that we saw to such great extent last year and into this new season and taking that onto the international stage and and look when when we talk about you know Mitrovic from two years ago, right? When we were in the Premier League, he was out of the side in terms of, of, of where Scott Parker saw him at this Fulham side. He misses that penalty, obviously, against Scotland. Um, that means that, that Serbia don't go to the European Championships. And, and, you know, how quick that international kind of redemption arc has come round. And look, I think we've seen that on both club and, and, and country level. You know, it's been so, super interesting to watch, you know, a player's development through this through this period no one's ever thought that, that Alexander Mitrovic is a bad player you know who who works or, or supports or or has anything to do with Fulham there's kind of no doubt about that whatsoever the question was whether his limitations um, in terms of speed or in terms of that ability to press were too much for him to make that step up and he has answered those so comprehensively over the last 12 16, 18 months that I feel like this is a kind of natural progression and we are seeing Mitrovic in his final kind of evolved form in the in the <laughs> prime of his career. It just feels like everything around him at the moment feels like it's going right and it's so wonderful to see because he is such such a brilliant footballer. I mean, Peter, 50 international goals is such an achievement. And my first thought was like, well, it's Serbia. So like, but actually, no, that doesn't make any sense. Serbia have to play the same teams that all the big nations have to. It's not like because they're Serbia and they're maybe not one of the traditionally big football nations that they get easier games. I mean, Harry Kane, 51 goals for England. Obviously, the stat that was doing the round last night was that Cristiano Ronaldo took 114 international uh, international games to score 50 international goals. Lionel Messi took 107. Alexander Mitrovic has taken 76. Now, look, I'm sure there's reasons why you should take that particular stat with a pinch of salt, given maybe where they were playing, their points in their career, etc. But still, it's, it's it's such an unreal achievement, like for him to get to 50 international goals this quick. Yeah, no, it is. Um... The, the statistics you've mentioned pretty much outline that, um, not least when you compare it to who's been regarded as the best players on the planet um, in the last decade or two as well. So uh, it, international football, is, it, you've got to bear in mind as well, like we're talking about a country who are producing, particularly in the last couple of years, last few years, high quality strikers. Um and in that context, he's retained his place and continued to score goals. He's, he's always scored goals for, for Serbia. Um, they've gone through different coaches. They've gone through different periods of performance level. You know, at the moment, they're on a real crest of a wave. Um, they're performing very, very well, getting some really impressive results and are in, a, are in the best possible place, really, you'd, you'd say, coming into a, a World Cup. But it's not always been like that. You know, I mean... Jack mentioned two years ago, you know, coming out of the Euros qualification, the, the the disharmony, the unhappiness there was about some of the performances and the team performances from Serbia, considering the players that they had. Um, obviously, now under Dragan Stojkovic, they're they're a different different animal, and I think it's worth mentioning Stojkovic because I don't think he's someone we would normally touch on from a Fulham perspective. Um, we we obviously have done when when Serbia and have, have succeeded, but he's a really obviously he's a very famous former former player and, um, and he's a really charismatic character. I think we saw that 
in his pre-match press conference out of the Norway game where he, he called, I think he, he must, I think he was asked about Haaland and then he turns around and says, I'm not really worried. I've got Alexander the Great. Um, he, he's also had quite a big influence over this past, what, 18 months, 24 month period. Um, because it, even at the peak of that difficult season under Scott Parker in the Premier League, um, you know, Mitrovic missed the penalty, but it was the following international break in March where he scored some brilliant goals. Um, and that's partly stemmed off the back of having conversations with, with Stojkovic and Stojkovic saying, you know, you're, you're still my man. You're still Serbia's, you know, finest goal scorer. Then he broke the record, of course, becoming their all-time greatest goal scorer. Um, and that influence has, has been huge. And we see that's, you know, seeing that still on the international stage, he's still scoring at a remarkable rate. 50 goals at international level is superb. And that's been mirrored, of course, by the the, the second impact that's happened, which is with Marco Silva, which has completely transformed him um, and taken his game to to a new level. And it, it, he's a player that, it's like with most things in football, you know, it's, what, what makes football so great and so enjoyable is you get players in so many different shapes and sizes that can do so many different things. And, you know, if you ask Mitrovic to sprint 100 metres, he's not going to be quick. If you're asking him to run in behind, that's not his game. But if you build the build your game around what he does best, his ability to link play, his ability to score goals, pick up the spaces in the penalty area, uh, right place, right time, um, to have that kind of influence and, and, and benefit from it, go for it, build your team towards it, then you're going to get results. And, and that's what's happened here. And, and, you know, confidence is massive too. He's playing, it's almost like he's flying and you know, he just floats around at the moment. He's trying things that, you know, we didn't think would happen. You know, on the opening day, he's going up to Van Dijk and sitting him down and winning a penalty. Um, you know, that's, that's confidence. Um, and that's the product of the environment. It's a product of the way the teams are set up, both uh, national team and then also, especially at Fulham, um, playing an attacking style, playing to what he does best and, and, you know, he's getting the rewards, Fulham are getting the rewards, Serbia are getting the rewards. And, you know, he is in a fa- fantastic moment. And, and as Jack said, you know, when you think back to two years ago, I was, I was speaking earlier today with, with a contact in Serbia, just thinking about that point. You know, it really was the lowest point of his career when he missed that penalty and against Scotland. Considering where he was at Fulham, he was unhappy. You know, the summer before Silver comes in, there was an expectation that he would go. Like, it's, it really is a remarkable turnaround to get from that point to where he is now and is reflective probably of his character but also the the support that he's had from from his club and, and his country so um yeah he's gonna we're gonna continue to talk about him all season but he, his story is a fantastic one and he's a top class striker one of the best in the world I mean, Jack, I'm obviously looking forward to the World Cup from an England perspective, although maybe I shouldn't be considering how awful we've been. I'm almost as excited for Serbia's World Cup. Like I'm I'm genuinely got to that point now that I am making sure that all three of Serbia's games, I'm around to watch them. Like, and actually you look at their group, they've obviously got Brazil. That's incredibly difficult. Switzerland are no mugs as they proved at the last tournament. Um, well, we, we know that Cameroon have got some good players uh, from, from one of our former. Cameroon so have had an absolutely dreadful international break. I woke up at 10 a.m. earlier last week to, in order to watch them lose 2-0 to Uzbekistan. Um, okay. They have been rubbish. Um, but oh. yes, they do have some good players. So, okay. So, so it's a difficult group. They would then play, if they got through the group, either the winners or the runners-up of Group H, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. I see no reason why Serbia can't get to the quarters. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they've, they've definitely got to be looking at this and the form that they're currently in, obviously just been promoted from League B to, to League A in the Nations League um, with that with that performance yesterday. And I think everyone will, will take a lot of heart from that. They'll get, a, a, a should get at the very least, a, a decent group uh, for the next European qualification, European Championship qualifications. So, you know, everything is kind of rosy at the moment. There's a lot of depth in this squad. There's a lot of attacking talent. Some of the lineups we saw, you're watching this and you go, wow, they're really going for it. You know, it's, you know, Mitrovic and Vlavic up front, Kostic on one wing, Lazovic on the other, Milinkovic Savic is a kind of holding midfielder behind Dusan Tadic. It's, it, there's a lot going on in terms of attacking thrust and it makes Serbia incredibly exciting to watch. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's it's really exciting for this World Cup. It's a tricky group, but not an impossible one. Obviously, there's history with Switzerland given, you know, the two went off at the last World Cup and there was quite, quite a lot of drama in, in that game. So I'm sure they'll be out for revenge in, in that regard. But yeah, it's a, it's a very, very exciting time for Serbia and, and, and Alexander Mitrovic at the forefront of that right now. If he scores against Brazil, I can't even imagine how much Twitter is going to explode. Um, Alon Mitrovic. It's written in the stars. Please, Mitrovic. That would be so epic. Although maybe we need to start <laughs> calming the hype on him for, for obvious reasons. And one thing that I will support Serbia in the World Cup, but I am not copying that shirt. It is horrific. Both the home and away, but the away in particular... Hey, it's like someone like a five-year-old got on a Microsoft Paint. Um, Peter, you wanted to come in? No, I, I was going to say it doesn't quite work, but I'll chip in anyway. There was a lot of unhappiness, I think, in Serbia about those shirts, I think. judging or At least, anyway, you could see it on social media reaction, but um, yeah, it's not warmly received. I've got a Serbia shirt from the last World Cup and it's really nice. The away with the like flag down the middle of it as a kind of like feature. It's a really, really lovely shirt. So if you want a Serbia shirt for the World Cup, that's the one I'd, I'd recommend. Well, the, the white one that um, Mitrovic scored the famous goalie as Portugal is absolutely lovely. Um, I'm hoping it might be a little bit cheaper as it's obviously not the current edition. So I might get that one um, to, to show my support for, for Mitro because that's an iconic shirt. But yeah, Puma have had an absolute stinker on this uh, current set. Let's move on to some other Fulham names uh, who played uh, for their international teams. I mean, Peter, there isn't actually an awful lot to go off here. I know Decadova Reed played um, against Argentina for Jamaica. Uh, the Reggae Boys lost 3 0. Dan James played for Wales uh, in Cardiff, and obviously uh, Marek Rodak played. Uh, any particular highlights from, from the rest of the international break, Peter? I didn't think there was an awful lot. Obviously, Luke Harris didn't get on the pitch, which would have been uh, a big moment for him, but still amazing for him to be in the squad considering his age and his experience. Um, yeah, I think I think the, sort of the main headlines, I suppose, are, are, are that Luke Harris was with the squad, um, that he you know has <laughs> caught the eye enough to, to be involved and, and to be in that environment and by all accounts seems to have had a good experience there and, and you know the Wales national team staff really do rate him quite highly and bodes very well going forward and you know even at this stage he hasn't even played a league game and he's he's already in the, in that setup that just it speaks volumes really and it, it was already overachieving so a good experience all round um, but yeah as you say not too many other headlines obviously Naiskin's Cabano has picked up a knock um, mm. he went off against Burkina Faso in the 20th minute and then he was released um, by DR Congo over the week uh, earlier this week, um, back to Fulham. So we'll have to find out how serious that is. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just going through 
having a look down. I think Kieran Bowie's an interesting one. He scored for Scotland's under 21s yeah. and he started very well on loan at Northampton as well. He's made a real impact there. Um, so he, he's one to keep an eye on, especially as, as he, he keeps performing well for the Cobblers. One I imagine you want to mention, Jack, is Ollie O'Neill. Yeah, I mean, bad day for the under-21s. Um, should have won uh, in the first leg of this under-21 European playoff against Israel. Um, it was a 1-1 draw at Talat, um, but Ireland were the better side. Went to Tel Aviv, tried to basically great, scrape out a, a nil-nil. It worked, went to penalties, and then Ireland missed all of their penalties, um, which was basically a bit of a shambles. But uh, Ole O'Neill came on. Uh, for for the under twenty ones, which is nice, um, and that squad is, is is getting better, and looks like the island youth setups are improving, which is nice. Some interesting ones that I thought, you know, Matt Rodet, you mentioned there, conceded three goals over the two games to Azerbaijan and Belarus, so not the most successful international break for Marek. Um, and Trapalhinha played for Portugal in the first game, and they got moved to centre back which I thought was was interesting. I haven't seen that before. Now, it's part of a funny story where basically um, the Portugal manager, Fernando Sanchez, has Thiago Jallo on the bench, who is a centre-back who, who plays for Lille, a um, very competent centre-back, but has never made a Portugal appearance. Um, and instead of, when, when his centre-back got injured, instead of bringing Thiago Jallo on, he moved Polina into centre-back. And afterwards in the press conference, basically they were like, why didn't you bring on Thiago Jallo? And he was like, oh, I completely forgot he was there. <laughs> No, no. He was like, I'm so sorry. I apologize to Thiago Jallo. In my head, I just forgot about him at that moment. This man has never made a cap for Portugal. Your manager is forgetting about you. That is one of the biggest, like, faux pas I've seen in football for ages. So, yeah, not a great There is a skill, though. And, and, you know, if you're not regularly a substitute, like I have had plenty of experience being, there is a skill to warming up in front of the manager and making sure that you're in his eyesight. And maybe that's not what he he did. There is is an art to it and making sure. I know that um, Jimmy Bullard famously said that he did that when he uh, was pulled up for England and uh, he did like warm-ups in front of Fabio Capello uh, to try and get his eyes, but uh, without success. How none of uh, Santos's assistants flagged this or any other member of staff? Well, basically, he had João Mario kind of warmed up and ready to bring on, which is fine, who is a centre midfielder. Um, and obviously then the injury comes and instead of just being like, oh, I'm going to change the substitute, he's clearly gone, oh, what I could just do is, is just push Polina further back, which is fine, right? It's not a problem. But someone probably should have given him the heads up, yeah. But for him right. not to then find out until like the press conference after, surely like someone during the game would Oh yeah, damn. Like I maybe like like you know, you've only got a 60 seconds or whatever to make a decision. I can almost understand the heat about the fact that he still didn't realize until someone <laughs> pointed him out. I really obviously I don't want this to happen, but I'm really hoping Peter one day gets the opportunity to do this to like Marco Silver. He's like crap, I forgot about Kevin and Babu or something like that. <laughs> He's yeah. on the bench. A very <laughs> strange one. Very strange one all around. Um, let's discuss these Luke Harris rumors, um, which have kind of come out of nowhere. I don't know how much credence there is to them, but Luke Harris, um, apparently, um, Chelsea tabling a 30 million pound offer to buy him. Um, as as we mentioned earlier, he's not made a a league appearance for Fulham yet, but he's obviously a, a striker who is very, very gifted has scored an awful lot of goals. Um, for the for the youth sides at, at all levels um peter i mean it's crazy money for someone that hasn't played for us it screams of kind of patrick roberts type offer when we got that and it almost was like well if you're gonna offer that amount of money then maybe we're gonna have to take it but 
I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? That as soon as Fulham get a decent youth player, even when you tie him to a contract, we thought, great, this is it. This we can we can relax and we can uh, we can hope that we can hold on to him. And still, the vultures come swooping. I mean, it's inevitable that Harris will attract interest, and we talked about it before about um, you know how how big clubs are looking at him. Of course, they are in terms of the, the bid and the offer. That's not something I'd heard. Um, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case but that a club like Chelsea are looking at him is not a wouldn't be a surprise I think the the fears you mentioned now that it's been reported um it's interesting because it it then floats a valuation doesn't it I suppose um and that's it's an impressive number for someone who's not played a league game yet um Harris obviously signed his first professional contract um in the same week that he got his his Wales call up um for him and you know for those around him and, and for the club Fulham is the best place to be right now for his development um he's been in, you know there's, there's real encouragement that he's been involved with the first team under Marco Silva um the warm words that Marco Silva said about him that he will be getting minutes uh I don't see Luke Harris leaving in the short term I just don't see that happening for now um but uh, things can change quickly. We, we saw that, of course, with with, with Carvalho, but uh, not not for me at the moment. I think, as with Carvalho, it was the second contract that becomes difficult. And you know, Fulham have given Harris a three year deal. That's the most they can offer under FIFA regulations for someone under eighteen. Um, that naturally is a is a problem if you're, if you're a club like Fulham when there are bigger clubs trying to to sweep and take take your players. So how they manage the situation is important. How they manage the pressure now is is important because he's on a lot of people's radars. Um, not just and I'm not just talking in terms of you know clubs. I'm talking about people in general. You know people are aware of him. You know it's, it's, in football sense, his his life is sort of changing quite quickly, and he's still very young. So this is a pretty important period and his career and um you know he's he's exceptionally talented you know we talked about the goals he scored from midfield he's that he's a has that natural ability to to pop up in the penalty area to score goals something he's had ever since he was young um joined Fulham at 14 um did a piece last week um just touching on his journey so far and, and you know why, why he's ended up in the Wales squad um so but yeah but for now you know it's Fulham is where he is is best for him there's no doubt about that uh, and Peter, I'm sure you might want to um, bring up the article that you've written uh, about Luke Harris. Um, this time last week, I think you released it. Um, uh, a great kind of insight into um, his development and 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 how he's kind of risen to prominence uh, in the last. It's really six months. I feel like. I mean, we kind of knew he was on the radar maybe six months ago, but no one was really talking about him until this season. I've, I've... It's, it's an interesting one because he, he, his talent was known. Like we knew about it, I knew about it. Um, but he, because he was so young, you just you didn't you didn't talk it up so much. Um, I think I think the, for the under 18s I think you know when he was, he was still a schoolboy, age fifteen, he was scoring goals and, and contributed to when they won the National League South under Steve Wigley. Um, scored again a hat full of goals for the under twenty ones last season. Again under under Wigley and and then also chipping in for Ali Malou's under eighteen side too. Um, you know he's it's been quite consistent and and just in the piece we touched on the fact that he's from Jersey. Um, obviously have the choice of playing for any one of the four uh, UK nations, but um, there's no doubt there's no chance to be playing for, for for England. Obviously he's had his Wales call up, but 
um, there's a strong Welsh connection on his father's side of the family. Um, and it just touches on that, really. Um, he, he joined Fulham age 14. Obviously, there's, there's actually specific rules regarding players leaving Jersey at a younger age and as you'd expect um, at academy level. Um, but came in, went to, to King's School and um, is the latest sort of to emerge from, from Oxford Park, really. We, the track record that they have now is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, it, it, I know we, we, we all, there's a frustration about players, A, getting into the first team and, and making sure that Fulham get the right price for, for these talented players that they're producing. But on a basic level of the fact that they are producing these players with such consistency, um, really deserves a lot of credit um, because it's uh, not easy and, and certainly not easy for a club that's in London competing with some very well-established academies uh, academies and clubs that can offer and do offer, uh, can offer not just more money, but can invest more money into, into their setup. So um, yeah, another, another player with potential. We have to stress that because he's only 17. And as, as Marco Silva said, when he was asked about it in the pre-match press conference for, for Forrest, uh, following Harris's call up, you know he's. They don't want to put too much pressure on him. It's got to get. It's got to be the right steps, the right, the right progress. But if you've got the talent, and you'll be involved, and um, I'm sure it won't be long before we see him playing the league. I mean, it is amazing, Jack, that this academy pipeline just continues to churn out players. Like, okay, we've lost Carvalho. That's annoying. Right onto the net, and, and I remember thinking, oh well, is there another big hope in the academy? I feel like we'll be waiting a few years, and and along comes Luke Harris. Yes, I know he hasn't played yet and uh, it's not quite at Carvalho levels but still just the 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 pipeline of talents is is amazing and you know let's not get into the whole can we keep them all of that because we've done it so many times but it's just impressive isn't it really that we, we continue to just bring through these players and I, I feel like we are starting to see real real fruit from what has been decades of labor since Fulham actually started taking their academy seriously or at least from the outside perspective, it seemed like that was when they took it seriously. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on, right? It's just, it's a brilliant, brilliant pipeline that continues to churn out talent. And, you know, I've mentioned on the pod before, but it's not just about bringing through the absolute top quality. It's, you know, the the academy can be a source. You know, if you bring players through that play kind of any level of professional football, that's a success, a major success. And, and it should be kind of seen as such as well, because those things are incredibly important. You know, it's not just about being the club. It's about giving opportunities to people who you know can then go and make a, a living from from football and, and allowing people who have talent to flourish you know at whatever level that ends up being at but yeah I think obviously the the headline names are always going to kind of steal the spotlight uh, and and it just seems to be such a, a wonderful process at the moment it's you know a rich catchment area let's let's be honest in terms of you know the talent available and that Fulham can bring in players from kind of across South London and you know across West London as well these are these are catchment areas that that are you know we've seen some some wonderful footballers kind of across the you know across the the country come out of uh, of these kind of areas of, of London and and ultimately Fulham need to be tapping into that and, and right now we are and that feels like such a you know uh, such a a source of a source of pride I think is is, is a major point but also just a source of uh, something that the club can be can be rightly you know excited about for the future and that you know if things continue to go this well you know and you continue to produce very, very, very top quality players. Other players will want to come in, you know, young players who will go, okay, I've seen, 
you know, Fulham aren't the biggest name in London by, by, uh, you know, a, a significant margin, I would say. And, and, you know, we still have players here who'd be looking at, you know, at young ages and going, right, what's the best career path for me? Where's the best place that I can go for my development? And the more you see players coming out on the, at the top level, your Cavaliers, your Sessions, Luke Harris, the latest, obviously, of this line, you know, and that's going to inspire young players to be like, right, maybe Fulham is the place for me to go and, you know, continue my development because we've seen that there are the results speak for themselves. And I think that's an important point as well. And just before we take a break, Peter, another article that you did this week was speaking to uh, Steve Jay, uh, the manager of the Fulham women team. Um, you went to the game against Ebbsfleet at Motspur Park, which Fulham lost 2-0. They also had a game on Sunday, which they won 2-0 uh, against AFC Acorns. Uh, they're currently uh, mid-table uh, in their division uh, you've got a few established names in there like Sutton United and, and Millwall Lionesses and, and we know that Fulham women is n- not at the level that we often see on the telly it's not even really that close to what you might see in the WSL or the, the championship below it Fulham are kind of doing it their own way um, what, what did Steve have to say though when, when you spoke to him after that Ebbsfleet game yeah, I think I chose the wrong game. Should have gone to the the Acorns game rather than a two 0 defeat. It was uh, it was unhappy with the with the, with with the loss. Um, but yeah, no, it was good to, to catch up with with Steve Jay and and the progress that the team are making. You know, it's, it's no secret they want to get out of this division. Um, as we've written before and, and talked about, it's a hard division with one promotion spot. There are clubs with who are all pushing in the same direction really to try and to take that step up. Fulham have in the last couple of years. Um, Increase their investment, particularly in the last year, with with the women's team coming under the performance side of the club, no longer the the charity arm, the Fulham Foundation. Um, so that comes under the remit of, of Hugh, Gem- Hugh Jennings in his uh, head of football development role. Um, and you know they've they've increased their staff numbers. They've done so again. They've added a, an under eighteen side this year as well to help improve the pathway. Um, and we talked about how they want basically to have that that local role, that local community element of 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 getting girls to play football and, and improving participation um, while also having a, a strong, strong senior side. Um, so in that sense, they've done okay. Obviously, it's, it, two defeats already this season is, is disappointing, particularly considering their, their expectations. But, you know, it was, it was good to speak to Steve about not just Fulham women and, and, and the progress they need to make, but also um, the Euros as well and the success that, that England have had and, and what that can do. You know, Steve spoke really well about how you know, he went to I think the quarterfinals and the final. He went to the quarterfinals by himself, and he said he found it quite a, a moving experience to see that many people supporting the national team, being so invested in in the national team in the women's game. Um, and you know, and part of that is visibility. It's seeing people playing that sport, saying, "Oh, I can do that." You know, I, I, why can't I play this sport? This is a sport for me. And uh, part of that, I think, from a Fulham perspective, is is playing at Craven Cottage, um, which is something that's should be on the agenda and um, something that, that Jay feels would be a real, a real step forward. And that looks like something that could happen. So um, there's, they're certainly making steps forward. They're slow, they're small steps forward. Um, and as you say, Fulham aren't at that level of the, of the team to see on the TV. And, um, but there, there has been progress over the last year, particularly um, they're improving their squad. They've added a couple more, more players um, in the summer and, now it's just about getting out of the division. That's that's the target. That's that's the challenge. And um, you know that you can clearly see that the patterns of play, that the style they're, they're adopting, it's a similar four three three to what we see with the men's team. Um, 
and now it's just about getting the results and, and getting up getting up the tiers i think playing at craven cottage would be a massive step forward i think that it would send such a signal we've seen you know huge success of other clubs doing that i don't think you know fulham's not going to rebuild this overnight um and into turning it into the you know you saw uh, I, I watched quite a bit of the arsenal spurs game um where there was uh, about 45 to 50 000, um at the emirates um and and arsenal won i think four nil in the end and, and were really impressive it was a good game and like actually spurs weren't that bad either but obviously arsenal just a, a bit of a level above and you you'd love to see fulham women get to that stage but like playing at Motspur Park it's not as easy for people to get to it's not as attractive as people don't it's, it's unfamiliar um to people as well not many people have been to Motspur Park or would know how to get there um specifically I think when it's at Craven Cottage people are just comfortable they know how to get there they know their routines they know where to go I think it would be such a huge step forward and uh yeah it'd be interesting to see if they can build that if you want to read either of Peter's articles on Luke Harris or the Fulham women team it's all on The Athletic right now okay we're going to take a break and afterwards we'll look ahead to Saturday's game against Newcastle why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Talking of other teams playing at Craven Cottage, uh, we were just mentioning the break that the Fulham under-21s team are playing Valencia at Craven Cottage. Valencia under-21s, I should point out, not the first team of Valencia. Although, to be um, fair, Valencia are the youngest team in Europe, so it's actually not that much difference. <laughs> well, it's at seven o'clock at Craven Cottage on Wednesday in the Premier League International Cup, uh, if you fancy going down there to support the lads. Uh, uh, should be uh, a decent atmosphere. I know they played a game at Craven Cottage last year and it was, uh, it was a decent turnout for that one. So uh, hopefully it'll be a decent turnout. They're playing um, some quite good teams, quite fun teams in this International Cup over uh, the next uh, few months or so. I saw that get uh, announced. Um, they were all in England and everyone was like, wait, where's the European tour? I want to <laughs> I want to go to Valencia to watch the under-21s. I don't want these games to be in England. Everyone uh, just needs to wait six months. The, the Conference League is coming. You'll be able to get your passports out then uh, but the first step uh, to getting that conference league spot is to beat Newcastle on Saturday back in the Premier League back at Craven Cottage um, it's been uh, it's been a while we had we didn't play a game at Craven Cottage in September after the Chelsea game was postponed uh, against Eddie Howe's Newcastle who have had a weird start to the season Jack drawing an awful lot of games but mm resilient had some good performances in there shouldn't have lost really the game they did lose to Liverpool um took Man City all the way probably unlucky not to win it um had they just held on um but there have also been some kind of meek 
games in there, typified by their one or draw against Bournemouth last time out. Don't really know what to make of them, but maybe not a bad time to be facing them because they've also got some injuries, which is uh, which is helpful. Yeah, they haven't been very good on the road, um, which has been quite kind of strange. They they were okay at Molyneux. That was probably the, the best game that they played. And they obviously, as you mentioned, the Anfield game. Um, but that Liverpool side are a bit all over the place at the moment. And yeah, I think that obviously this is a very good squad and they have, they've been very impressive over the last sort of, well, let's say eight months, nine months or so. Um, and, and so obviously it's going to be a tricky test. But yeah, it does feel like a, a good time to be playing them. Um, Bruno Gimenez looks like he might play. Um, he, he left the Brazil training camp um, instead of instead of playing in the second game against Ghana. Um, so he looks to be like he might be back in the rotation by that point. But Alex Izak picked up an injury on Sweden duty. Chris Wood picked up an injury on New Zealand duty. And Callum Wilson is still, you know, according to uh, Newcastle sources, being, I open quotes, wrapped in cotton wool. Um, so, yeah, there's it does look like they might lack a focal point. Um, so, so that might be something. And, and I think that it's probably, you know, worth thinking about that. Nick Pope wasn't great for, for England in, in that game against Germany, I didn't think. So a lot of players maybe a little bit out of, you know, not out, out of kilter perhaps is probably the, the right word. It's, you know, obviously going to be an incredibly difficult test. We're missing Polinia, which is going to be, um, well, something that, something that Marcus was going to have to deal with. Obviously, we, there was an article uh, on the website from Jack Stroudley about this and how we kind of deal with the the Polina sized hole in the midfield. So that's going to be a, a very interesting thing for, for Marcus to have to deal with. Um, but yeah, it does feel like we're playing Newcastle at a relatively good time. You know, they haven't had a massive chance to, to kind of reinvigorate this squad because a lot of them will have gone off on international duty. Uh, there's been these injuries, as we mentioned before, and, and they're not in the greatest run of form, but still a very good side. I mean, they seem resilient, Peter. I could very much see this being a draw. Whilst, you know, they'll, they lack, they're going to lack goals with their, the injuries that they've got. Fulham are obviously not at 100% either. And to be honest, I would probably still take a draw. But that's the beauty of Fulham's position now that we're in. that I, You can kind of take draws. Like a draw against Newcastle at home would just be a nice, steady, stable result. Would I love to win? Would it be fantastic to win? Yes. But like, I'm, you still got to treat Newcastle with respect. They've invested heavily and... And whilst things haven't quite gone their way, it's been fine margins to trademark a, a certain former manager. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> tough to repeat, repeat fine margins. Um, it, yeah, but that, yeah, that's how that's how it can roll. And they've had some good performances. They're unlucky in a couple of games. Liverpool comes to mind with the, the late Carvalho goal. The injuries make it an opportunity, but considering that Fulham are without Palinia, it's almost fortunate in a way that Newcastle have their own issues, um, almost an equaliser in a way. And I think. For, for me, that the most important thing is is maintaining those performance levels at the cottage because they they have been the backbone to this strong start to the season. Um, those first half opening salvos where Fulham come at teams, make them realise that it's not going to be a nice trip to uh, to the banks of the Thames and um, and make teams work. And, and that's that's been a trademark. And, and Capellini has been really important in that. You know, with his aggressive ball winning, his physicality and um, make, just maintaining that those principles that Fulham have established um, will be really important. And, and you know, the, the start has been good. That a point would, as you say, something would be would be a respectable result. And it's probably testament to you know how well Fulham have done. Their expectations have have grown a little bit. You know, coming into home games like this, um, Newcastle without some key players, I think well, 
why can't Fulham win? And and that's 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 a good thing as much as it can be, you know, it can distort the you know what what what's expected. But to have that belief in your players, the belief in the team that's shared both within the squad and then on the terraces, it's it's a really really good position to be in. So yeah, ahead of a good month, maintaining that momentum from Forest, which is just a, a fantastic result, a really fantastic result. Um, to get to get October off to the best start because the fixtures in October are, are massive, are massive. If if you if you if you know for all the good start, if, if October ends with zero points, which it, it won't, it can change everything because of who, who they're playing. Um, so um, let's let's see, and, and I think you know starting well will be at least. I touched wood on behalf of everyone when he said that uh, we won't get zero points um, in Sorry. October there for you, Peter. Sound the horn. Sound the horn. <laughs> uh, it hopefully is a good run of fixtures. Uh, Newcastle at home, West Ham away, Bournemouth at home, Villa at home, Leeds away, Everton at home. That is a nice Premier League run of fixtures. Um, so important ahead of the World Cup that we do get a couple of wins. And if we can start it on Saturday, then that'd be fantastic. Um, Jack, I feel like there's been so much debate over who should start Polinia because it's kind of fallen in international break where there's not been so much to talk about. So it's, uh, I think the topic that's on everyone's lips is what we do. What would you do? Chalaba. Um, like I, I wouldn't switch the system up. It's been working and Chalabur is the most like-for-like player that we have. Obviously, you know, the, there is a, a drop-off in quality. I don't think anybody's denying that. But in terms of actual stylistic nature, I think that Chalabur is the person best set to actually fill the exact role that Polinia does. And and look, we talked about this last year, right? We were saying in games where Marcus Silva was starting Chalabur and, and, and Harrison Reed together, that he was maybe thinking about that with, that with the Premier League in mind, that there's a slightly more defensive element to, to that duo than the, there was with some of the other midfields that we, we saw last year across the course of the season. So I, I think that he will keep to put Chalabur in there. I think he is the natural kind of fit to drop in there. And, and maybe Pereira's asked to drop a little bit deeper to just to help out with a little bit, you know, of those defensive defensive worries without Polinia in the team. I think that's probably what I would do. And maybe a Decadova read as well to help with the kind of like lack of yeah. defense, uh, the, the lesson defensive output as well. Obviously Decadova read is very good at defending from the front. Yeah, I, it probably, I mean, the game that uh, like I go back to when I think of like the best Chalaber Reed performance was Middlesbrough away. A really, really difficult game. Obviously, one of the most important games I think of Fulham's promotion, and you know, going to a stadium that was a fortress at the time. We actually ended up turning it into very much not a fortress ever since we got that result. But at the time we went there, it was a hugely difficult game, and they battled and they scrapped and and they just about managed to kind of keep the midfield battle even and so I think if we can take some learnings from that I personally think it should be Chalibur as well I know I've seen all of the theories um, sticking D op at, at DM or you could put Kearney there and maybe drop Pereira deeper have Reed doing that role but I just think personally keep it simple Peter what would you do yeah no I'm, I'm in the Chalibur camp basically for every reason that Jack said I think the one other element to the way Fulham are playing is that you know Harrison Reed is covering a lot of ground um obviously we saw him score against Forrest but he's sort of playing as a he, he is playing as an eight um but also with a lot of six responsibilities um and he works very well on that right hand side it's a position he's been playing for the past what 12 months his combinations with, with both Kenny Tetter and who was Harry Wilson before of course and 
um, whether it's Bobby Decker, David Reed or, or Willian, as we saw against Forest, that worked really quite nicely. He knows that position in that area of the field quite well. And I, I think I wouldn't want to disrupt that. Um, that said, I don't see a reason why Tom Kearney can't play. Um, now, I think Tom Kearney's had some pretty good influences in the games where he's come on. I think that that's actually suiting him quite well as a, as a role, whether that's to see out games, to retake control of games. I mean, he had a great impact against Tottenham. Um, I, I think the, 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 the question is, do you then play with essentially two tens and then read in the six? And I think that disrupts pretty much what Fulham have done quite a bit so far this season. Um, as basically, as Jack said, I, I would try and keep things as, as familiar as, as, as possible. Um, as as what is possible because you know there'll be maybe knocks and, and things like that. So um, yeah, I think I think it'll be I think it will be Chalaber. I think you know as you mentioned, you know it's it's he played well against Borough last season, and I, I think he has the, he has the the attributes that are closest to to what Polina brings. But at the same time, whoever comes in is not going to be Jal Polina. Polina is very unique in what he does. Um, his influence. You've seen the stats. You know most tackles in what Europe's top five leagues and. Um, that's that's hard to hard to replace, um, but I think maintaining that balance that they've got in midfield is is important um, because I I think for Kenny to to do well, you want you want to be playing against a team that's that's sitting off and and won't necessarily re- require that industry element because that's for all that Kenny can do it. I think Chalobah probably could do that better. So um, yeah, we won't yeah. That's for me. Well, also a, a formidable midfield opponent against Bruno Gimaresh, who is going to want to run that midfield. This is this is a yeah, and Joe Linton as well. I mean, Joe yeah. Linton as a midfielder now is it seems to suit him so well in terms of his physical attributes, and, and that suggests it's going to be quite competent in there. Um, and I think Fulham will probably have to try and match that. And um, the other starting debate really is going to be. Uh, defence, um, Jack, it, it all really rests on the fitness of A, Robinson and B, Kazawa. I would really like for us not to have to play the same system that we did against Forest. It just about worked. Ream did actually play very well, but I, I personally do not see it as a long-term option um, because, yeah, I, I think either against Almiron or San Maximan, whoever starts on that right wing for, for Newcastle will have a lot of fun if they're going one they're going toe-to-toe with Tim Ream. So I guess we just got to hope that, mostly hope that Robinson's fit, but I guess if Kazawa's managed to get some fitness over the international break, then great. But the fact that he wasn't even on the bench against Forrest suggests that's quite a steep rise from not in squad to starting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, one of those we haven't heard very much. Obviously, the press conferences aren't until later in the week, so just one we've got to wait and see on. Yeah. Um, right, well, we'll take a break there. Uh, fingers crossed Fulham can do the business on Saturday against Newcastle. Afterwards, we've got a couple of questions. Fulhamish is brought to you by Green King, your home of pub sport. They've got over 900 sports pubs across the country because Green King is where the fans go, showing every broadcast game for Fulham. So head down to your nearest pub and you can enjoy every live sporting event from BT and Sky Sports on tap. And if you download the Green King season ticket app, you can receive a free drink when you register and get 10% off a great range of drinks one hour before, during and after any match. So head to the app store and search season ticket to download the app and when 
when registering if you use the promotion code FULHAMISH, one word, capital letters, as a listener of this show, you'll get an additional £5 off when you spend £15 on drinks. So make sure you download the Green King Season Ticket app, use the code FULHAMISH, that's all one word, capital letters, and you'll get an additional £5 off when you spend £15 on drinks. That's from Green King, is where the fans go, your home of pub sport. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack and Peter. This will catch on in a second, but let's get into some questions. This first one from John Stevens Hall says, Hi there, it looked to me that we made an adjustment in the second half of the Forest game by pulling Mitro back into a deep false nine and letting him make plays. Does this corroborate with how you guys saw the game? I mean, certainly that third goal, Peter, um, Mitro was in that kind of deep lying playmaker almost position to make that pass to Dover reed which sets that move um going um he is capable of doing that isn't he if he has limited success in the first half dropping deeper and uh, and kind of dictating the play from deep i mean we've, we've seen it last season but mitro likes i think kind of relishes that that role as well if he has to yeah i mean he was involved in all three goals wasn't he i think the obviously one from the corner he makes a block and and the second one as well is in the same area of the field so you know skips past a couple of challenges plays the ball to reed i think uh, and then gives it to William, and William then sets up. Um, Kenny Tetter sets up um, Um But yeah, I, I don't think that was a, a, a specific kind of tweak. I just think Mitrovic does that. That's just part of his game now. Um, may, maybe it was. Maybe I, I, I sort of missed it. Um, but you know, we, we saw it all last season. We've talked about how his role has, has evolved, and that part of that evolution is not just him scoring goals in the penalty area. It's being a full target man that disrupts opposition defences and can bring others into play. Um, it's similar, I'm not saying it's the same, it's similar to what Kane does at Tottenham, but Kane does it to an exceptional level um, as a number 10 and his passing is, I think, is, is, is a lot better than Mitrovic's. I don't think that's Mitrovic's best attribute. But at the same time, what we've seen from Mitrovic in the past 12 to 18 months is that he can do it and do it very well. You know, we talked a lot about the combinations he would make with Harry Wilson on that right-hand side last season um those round the corner passes um and he he is able to drop into central areas to create overloads in the middle of the pitch to bring the wide players in to use those onward runners and um and we saw that's a good effect against forest and that's that's just a weapon that fulham now have in their armory and, and probably something that's massively overlooked by everyone who doesn't actually watch fulham because mitrovic is able to do that he is able to play in a more well-rounded way i think his average touch positions i remember doing a piece last year compared to what he'd done before, had dropped significantly um, for Fulham in, in, in the championship because he is getting involved in the play and he's allowed to do that and Silva wants him to do that. And, you know, he said it himself. He said it after he broke the, the, the Ivan Tony's record. Um, when I spoke to him after the game, he talked about that's what he's been allowed to do and the different elements to his game now. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something that he's, he's great at um, and it's just helpful for Fulham. It's another weapon in their, in their arsenal. I did just quickly bring this up, Sammy, in terms of the stats. I just went on my 23 toolbox and had a little look at both his passing networks and his event count maps um, for the first and second half. There's no major drop-off, um, to be perfectly honest with you. There's the, he drops a little bit deeper. You'd imagine if you're picturing the kind of opposition half in the first half, he's pretty much bang between the center spot and the and the penalty box. He's slightly more towards the centre spot in the second half. I think maybe what's most interesting is actually the wingers are pushed up for much higher, um, as is Andreas Pereira's position. 
in that second half. So actually, maybe it's not necessarily so much that Mitrovic dropped off any further than he usually did. I think it might have been more that other players were actually getting in front of him. Um, and, and then providing him with those kind of passing triangles, those passing options, um, because they all seem to have moved up a little bit further in this second half. His events map pretty much reads similarly. Yes, in the first half, he actually has more touches in the kind of center circle spot, um, that five, kind of five in there and five out on the wide but deep, um, and kind of one or two in the in the box. In the second half, he touches the ball pretty much everywhere, although there are more pickups and more events that he does in our own half in the second half. So maybe that's maybe worth pointing out, but that's just the, that's just the raw data. I haven't had a chance to really kind of contextualize it. Um, I just pulled it up while you were, while Peter was speaking. So yeah, a little bit, um, but maybe it's as much to do with the players around him as, as necessarily to do with uh, traditional tactical sweep tweak. In the context of this season as well, you know, Fulham aren't dominating the ball as much. So Mitchell won't be doing that as often as we probably would have seen him do last year because Fulham aren't using, using him in build up as much. Um, but he can still do it and it's still something that they can use and, and that worked very well against Forrest. Another question here from Wes. He says, um, hello, Fulhamish. As a long-time listener and fan of the podcast, I want to say thank you for all the brilliant commentary and insights in good time and bad. You've given me a priceless connection to Fulham as I've been living away from the UK for the past seven years. He says, a question for the panel. In the recent Willian uh, Athletic piece, he mentions his adaptability to play on either a wing or as a number 10. I thought he had a brilliant full debut and was a key player in all three Fulham goals. Given that we have considerable competition on both wings once what Wilson and Solomon and a fit do you think Silva might consider playing Willian in the midfield triangle um before you answer that question I just want to say that that article from Simon Johnson on Willian is really really fascinating um I learned a lot mostly he wants to become a football agent um when he's done which um I certainly had never even heard of that kind of route certainly for not a top level player um definitely worth a read but yeah uh your thoughts on uh Wes uh, and he adds at the bottom of the email that he's in Tim Ream's hometown of St. Louis so uh, thank you Wes well yeah he's capable of doing it he has done it before and in the past I think his if you when you watch him play when he plays on the left he likes to drift in field um so a bit more a bit wider I think against Forest um but it's in his arsenal. I, I don't think that would be something that Fulham would want to go to straight away, um, if unless it was probably forced, um, because there are other options there, like like Tom Kearney, Pereira, of course, and Luke Harris. You could, we should factor him in into that position. But it it does help in games. It does help if you've got injuries. It does help um, having a player of that kind of uh, familiarity uh, means that you can you can step into that role if he's coming inside if he's playing. Uh, in in wider areas, and that's where his, his experience, you know, tells. Um, but yeah, it's an option. But I I think considering the energy required in that number ten position, um, not that William can't do it, but I don't think it's his best strength. No, I I think that there's also just so much competition. I'm not sure how great that looks to Tom Kearney either if Willian um, gets the number 10 role. If ever something happened to Andreas Pereira, I'd like to think he is the uh, the incumbent for that role if, if Pereira ever uh, can't play a match. I mean, I just, that piece though, Willian's just like, seemed like a really level head. I don't know why maybe I'd just maybe put Willian down in a box of being a bit of a flamboyance, just classic, just player that's come over here and hasn't got much to say but actually I, I was I've really learned something from this piece about William I definitely um give it a read and uh, I, I do hope that his uh 
his potential future career as a football agent goes well. I did enjoy one part of the piece, though, where he blamed um, some of his bad times at Corinthians on the pitches. Uh, he was just like, the pitches weren't good enough for me. I was like, okay, I'm sure everyone else has to deal with the bad pitches. Is there something that Willian can't cope unless it's an absolute yeah, carpet? Yeah, but maybe if, you've been used, maybe if you've been used to playing in the Premier League on carpets for you know quite some time, it's it, it's a bit of a culture shock. Now, I don't think it's an excuse, but... He, he, he needs I, I to get imagine. down. He needs to get down to some of the pitches that I play Sunday League on. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's, the dif- that's the difference, Sammy. That's a very different question, isn't it? It's like one of those quite strange ones. Um, but alas, no, I, I think it's fair. A couple of players have become agents, haven't they? Um, the Matai Kesman is Sergei Milinkovic-Savic's agent. Um, mm. Deco works for Georges Mensch. Uh, I'm pretty sure Yakubu's an agent. Um, no. So yeah, there's that. Um, that's, that's all I can think of for, for right now. But I'm pretty sure there's a couple, at least a couple of players who have gone on to become become agents. But yeah, it's a really good article, and I really enjoyed it as well. Final question um, is from David Smith. He says, "Hi guys, a question for a quieter pod. I guess international break is as good as any." Um, David, you need to become the producer. You've uh, you've fully understood the schedule. Um, I've been keeping an eye on the fate of our release list, and I'm really disappointed to see that Michael Hector is still a free agent. Give us a Given his performances in the Scott Parker promotion season, he has clearly shown himself to be a championship level defender. He hasn't been linked with anyone since he's been released and is still only 30. Does anyone have any idea what has happened? Do you think he has just got fed up with moving house? Um, I mean, the last one is a potential. His uh, list of uh, uh, clubs in his career is totally absurd. I'm surprised, Peter, not to see Michael Hector get picked up. Like... Those I remember those three games last year where Tosin got sent off against West Brom and and Michael Hector had to play. I think we kept a couple of clean sheets. I think um, generally Hector was pretty solid. I think more than proved that he's fully capable at championship level. Yes, he had a bit of a rotter in that final Sheffield United game. Who didn't? Um, I'm, I, I am shocked as well to not see Michael Hector pick up a club. I just wonder if there's something going on, an injury or, yeah, hard to work, put your finger on that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm surprised too that he hasn't picked up because he's more than good enough at, at that level, the upper end of the championship table. There's no doubt about that for me. But it's, you know, I think the, the question sort of touched on it a little bit. There are a lot of factors, not just for the player, but also for clubs at the moment. Um, you know, you've got to be in the right environment, the right place when you're 30 and have a, have a family. You've got to make sure that the, the right step is, is good for everyone. So, um, but yeah, no, no, I don't have a, an idea why, why specifically. Um, or the championship has become... There's a lot less money in the championship, um, which makes it difficult. But at the same time, as a free agent, you know, might have to be a really good pickup for somebody. So, um, yeah, I can't, I can't give you a, a, a concrete answer, unfortunately. Saw him linked with a return to Aberdeen earlier this month, which I thought might be quite nice. Um, but yeah, I'd imagine that there's a there's a very decent player there. Still got a couple of years left in him for for someone who's willing to take a chance. So good luck to him. Yeah, I, I really hope that he does find the, the club that suits him best and uh, he'll forever be Virgil van Mike to us. Right, a couple of this will catch ons before we finish. Both of them for Jao Polina, which is hilarious because we've just got ourselves a really good established chart for Jao Polina. But anyway, um, it's funny and he is flavour of the month at the moment. So let's do it. Um, first one is from Maximilian Catalano. He just writes, song for Zhao, just a banger for a banging player. Keep up the good work at the podcast, lads. It's another one that I have no idea what the tune is for, 
but it's amusing. So uh, maybe Jack might be able to work it out this time. I'm pretty sure it's not Hamilton, but it might be because I don't know the soundtrack. So here we go. Oh, I know this is. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Zhao, you just don't realize what you do to me. When you mark them, put the press on tight, you let Reem know everything's alright. I love Jopalinia. He's gonna to foot ya. And get a yellow car. I love Jean-Paulinia. Uh, that's that's hooked on a feeling by Blue Swede, which was uh, kind of reintroduced, I'd suppose, to modern parlance by the Guardians of the Galaxy film. Um, oh, so there you go. But yeah, really, really good song. I tried to Shazam it and I couldn't work it out. Yeah. Uh, people need I to put the song titles in the email. But anyway, no, it's I like it. It's part of the game. I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot too. That was fun. I enjoyed the line about being two-footed. That was yeah. good. Um, yeah. I, I, and also very well well put together. Well, you know, nice, nicely in tune. I had a good time. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah, loved it. Nice one, Maximilian. Very much enjoyed that one. Definitely a banger for a banging player. Uh, and finally, this one from Andrew Johnston. He says, to whomever it may concern, <laughs> I thought you right. might like this parody rendition of My Eyes Adore You by Frankie Valli that I wrote <laughs> in Ode of the Main Man, Joao Polina. Who knows? It might just catch on. Um, this is sensational. Joao Polina so good that i love that so song good. so much it's one of my favorite songs um i never thought we'd hear a version of my eyes adored you on this will catch on about a portuguese midfielder but here we are here we are that was that was wonderful that genuinely yeah. wonderful that was exceptional sometimes i'm like sometimes i can't i love them because i'm giggling away and sometimes i love them because they're just really beautifully put together and that was just excellent wasn't it absolutely yeah. excellent a high quality stuff yeah, really high quality. Uh, this will catch on today. I mean, he says the lyrics, uh, Jao Polini is world class. Well, I would say Andrew Johnston's world class uh, with, with that parody rendition. Just utterly beautiful. But put it on Spotify. I'd, I'd have that in my playlist. Like, get it professionally recorded. Put it on Spotify. That's that's on my uh, that's on my playlist. Get them definitely. to play that before Thank games. You. Stick it on the um, stick it on the PA. <laughs> you know, there's that there's that lad. Um, I can't remember his name now. Um, he sings Liverpool songs. Oh, uh, Jamie. Um, 
Jamie. Jamie Webster. Webster. Maybe Andrew Johnston is our Jamie Webster. Like if we do like a, we get to a, maybe when we go on the conference league and we, you know, we, we, we take over a square or something like that. We need to put Andrew on stage singing yeah. Fulham songs. He's, he's got the musicality. He's got the rhythm. He's got the songs. And the voice. I, I say, yeah, and he's got the voice. I, I think we, I think that's Andrew's destiny um, for us. Anyway, thank you, mate. I love that. That's absolutely fantastic. World class, as we said. And that'll do for today's podcast. We need to name it. Now, I did put um, a request into the uh, Fulhamish Telegram group. Not a huge response, um, but uh, let's see if any of these tickle your fancy. Uh, Mitro's goal-scoring tune. Uh, Mitro Mag's hat trick uh, from Dan Cook. Joe CB said, "Who is Harland?" Uh, Joe Johnson said, "Mitro's in tune." I came up with one, uh, a couple, which it's Mitro's tyne. Nice, that and is good. the superb Serb as well. Um, Jack, what one do you think uh, works best? Uh, that was I, I like Mitro's in tune. I think that's excellent. That's very good. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna nibble on that. Thanks very much. No worries. That's a perfect pod name. All right. Thank you very much for listening today, and thank you very much to my guest Jack Collins. Thank you, Sammy, for having me as ever. And Peter Rutzler. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Right. Uh, enjoy the game if you're going this weekend. The trains are in absolute state. So um, probably start leaving on Friday evening if you want to get to Craven Cottage on time for, for that one. Um, and uh, yeah, have a lovely weekend. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday evening. I think Dan Cook is hosting the podcast for the first um, right. time. So come on the Dan Cook. Uh, so show him all your love and support Thank for you. that pod on Sunday, reacting to everything that happens in the Newcastle game. Uh, and we'll have another Thursday club for you this time next week. So until then, come on, you whites. You whites. <laughs>